Welcome to the Truckers Podcast with your host, Raymond White, telling the story of those who move America. Today we have Dr. Bill Kanaski, the famous jury scientist and witness guru of courtroom science. In, this, in the industry, everyone talks about excessive litigation and nuclear verdicts, but not much seems to be done about it. In this episode, you'll learn how courtroom science utilizes their unique strategies and are winning against the plaintiff's bar. Bill, welcome. Thank you for having me. And I think I am famous, actually, at, the, oh, at this point. At oh, the, absolutely. At this, at this point, or infamous, depending on your uh, perspective, right? Hey, I think infamous from the uh, plaintiff's side is a good thing. That's something to be earned. Oh, yeah, they know me. They know me very well. And uh, it's a uh, it's an epic battle week by week. But uh, I would I would I would have it no other way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, share with us the backstory of Quorum Sciences and how you ended up at the company. The company has been around for over 30 years. Um, you have to understand the the, the industry of um, jury consulting, witness uh, preparation, coaching uh, has only been around. I mean, this all started in the 1980s. I mean, this is a pretty young industry. Um, and so we're not, t- yeah, I mean, like the practice of law goes back a long, long, long time. Medicine goes back a long, long time. We're talking 40 years, right? So um, uh, the company is one of the first companies uh, to do this. And, uh, you know, much has changed. Uh, I had no intention of doing this as a career. Zero. I was in my PhD program at the University of Florida. And I was training to be a uh, clinical and health psychologist in the medical system and be a university professor, researcher, and clinician. And everything was going, I mean, what's well, an honorable job, right? Uh, every, everything oh, was yeah. going great. Everything was going great. And then I met somebody who knew somebody who was doing, lit- you know, was a psychologist in litigation. And they said, wow, you'd be really good at this. And they explained it to me, this industry. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what are you yeah. talking about? I've never even heard of this um, because it's such a niche uh, field. And the more I read about it and the more people I talked to, I fell in love with it. And so I left healthcare and academia, which was a really huge life decision took a massive and wicked left turn. And 21 years later, here we are, and uh, turned out to be one of the best decisions of my life. That's awesome. I love hearing that. And you know, kind of share what services do you provide to the transportation industry? Yeah. So there's, there's like, there's two major services, right? Um, And so number one, um, and my favorite personally is uh, preparing witnesses to testify, um, both a deposition and a trial. Now, statistically, there are far more depositions than there are, you know, trials going on in, in, in courtrooms. We do both, uh, but I, th- I I think that that's the most that's the love of my life is um, training witnesses from the cognitive, behavioral, emotional standpoint. Um, to prepare them to go up against a seasoned, very talented, well-trained plaintiff attorney. 
Nothing, no, nothing in my life is more exciting than that. Just taking regular <laughs> people, whether it being a safety director, a driver, uh, you know, a trucking company executive, um, and, and and training them to uh, thrive in that process. Uh, to to me, is the the most important thing that we do, and and the reason why is is that we know for a fact that the plaintiffs bar heavily relies on deposition testimony to feel their case and to mm-hmm. feel leverage and to feel the economic value of the case. So if, if a plaintiff attorney can come in, you know, beat up your driver, beat up your director of HR, beat up your safety director, and then beat up your corporate rep, that the value of that case is going to uh, exponentially uh, multiply. Yet uh, it's the total reverse, right? If, if the witnesses are well-trained and the witnesses do well, now the value of that case stays reasonable because mm-hmm. there, because there's no leverage. So that, that's the number one thing that we do. That's ha- that's pretty much half of what we do. The other half of what we do is your standard uh, jury consulting and research, which um, which is doing a lot of focus groups uh, and mock trials to help our clients. Again, it comes in two phases. You have this you know trial preparation type of jury research which happens but again it's there's not a lot of trials uh, going on relative to how it was 10 20 30 years ago so we still do plenty of that but a lot of focus groups and mock trials earlier in cases which is really the key to your success to help our clients adequately and accurately assess their case right so you know you, you have an accident there's in, injuries or somebody dies and, you know, there's a claim filed, lawsuits filed. And then after the first kind of round of talks with plaintiff's counsel, they say, well, we want $25 million. Well, okay. (laughs) Well, what are you doing? Like, where's that number? Where's that number coming from? Right. And what we know is that oftentimes that number has been derived from jury research that the plaintiff attorney has done and they know they know what the case is worth because they've done their homework right mm-hmm. so the defense now has to somehow respond to that right and this is where it gets really tricky if they do their homework right and so oftentimes we'll go and we'll do that focus group or mock trial and then we figure out hey this is not a 25 million dollar case it's a $3 million case or a $5 million case. Well, now you have the weaponry and leverage to go back to plaintiff's counsel, particularly if you're going to a mediation and there's a mediator to say, hey, we've done our homework too with the, yeah. which a PhD, with the group of PhD psychologists, no less. We know this is not a $25 million case, so stick it up your ass, right? No, of course. Or, or here's the problem, but here this is really important, right? Or we do the same exact project and the numbers we get back are at 30, 40, 50 million dollars. You, you see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. So so now all of a sudden, 25 million dollars could actually be a, a bargain on that case if you have a loser of a case. The problem is you don't know it. So the other half of what we do is doing scientific research for our clients to determine a how much fault are we going to get dinged with here by a jury? And then B, we do get dinged. 
what's the, like what's a reasonable scientific you know range of what these damages would be and then that's how clients and insurance companies uh make really wise decisions going forward see when you have your nuclear verdicts what ends up happening is the defense doesn't do their homework because they want to save time and money they're operating blindly the plaintiff does all their homework and then by the time like you're in the middle of the fourth quarter and you figure out oh no we're we're, we're in big big trouble and no. then it's, it's it's too late a lot of yeah a lot of uh a lot of wait and see approach yeah. to you know which i know Nothing we've talked life. about by the way Ra- raymond i'll tell you right now nothing in life and, and from my perspective i just turned 50 so I like i'm just telling everybody what i know right? like you hit 50 <laughs> yeah. like you think you know everything and i think i do at this point or at least i'm really damn close nothing in life if you take a kick the can down the road wait and see approach is not effective it's not effective with your health right it's not effective with your family it's not effective with your marriage. It's not effective with your job. And it certainly isn't effective in litigation, yet we see it far too often. No, of course. Well, that kind of takes us right into what's broken with the system and why do plaintiff attorneys seem to always be eating our lunch and getting rich while doing it? Yeah, the, the system's broken because the, the now, now I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I say every time I give a speech, I say this. I've said it on my podcast, uh, Litigation Psychology Podcast, folks. Uh, I say it on my podcast all the time. Nobody wants to talk about this. Everybody knows it's true. I- I've talked to a million defense attorneys. Everybody knows this is true, <laughs> yeah. but nobody wants to say it. I'm going to say it because I don't give a shit. The system, the def- the insurance defense system, is broken, has been broken for a long time. Because of several different reasons. Number one, it's a very reactive system. It's not a proactive system. Meaning they wait for bad things to happen and then they react to it. Again, another life lesson. No, don't, wait, yeah. don't wait for bad shit to happen. Okay. You can have a very proactive. So the clients that we work with that really know what they're doing, very, very, very proactive from day one. Absolutely. There's several things that you can do to be proactive in litigation versus waiting around, number one. Number two, uh, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, Uh-oh. is um, yeah, many many insurance, you know, we're talking about the insurance industry, really, right? Because it's the insurance companies that are managing the litigation. Um, insurance companies don't like to spend money. They like to save money. So they take a very cost, right, a cost savings approach to things. Whereas the plaintiff's bars out there spending money early because they want they want to get ahead. They want to go up by three or four touchdowns. Um, and the defense, uh, the insurance defense system traditionally has not done that. They want to save money. They don't want to spend money up front. And that's where you have this lead being, right? This is this there's this gap in preparation because you got one side, the plaintiff's bar. And by the way, I'm not going to say one negative thing about them today. Hats off to them. Pro, pro, yeah. proactive throwing deep throwing deep in the first quarter right that's what they do and um the defense can and is some defendants some insurance companies are uh doing the exact same thing but the vast majority of them in the traditional defense model uh, from the insurance industry is to save money by doing a couple of things number one not doing things like jury research and witness prep they want to save money 
Hey, number two, this is what's going to ruffle some feathers. <laughs> I know this is true, though. Um, not spending the money on good attorneys. Yeah. Looking for discounts. There's another life. Let's see. Very much. I'm just going to give your audience. All hey, this I love it. If you, if you want to go buy something, right? If you didn't new roof for your house. Okay. You got a family, <laughs> right? You have some roof damage from a storm. Are you going to go out and get the cheapest roof? No, 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 you're not. Cause that's not a good idea when it comes to a roof. Okay. Now, if, if you're buying, you know, potato chips at the grocery store, hey, you want to get the two for one deal? Yeah, go ahead. But we're talking about pretty important things here where yeah. doing things at a discount, right, is really, really, really not a good idea. Hey, if you need heart surgery, Raymond, do you want to go to the cheapest heart surgeon? No. <laughs> wait, wait, really? Really? You don't yeah. want to? Why not? You're going to save a bunch of money. Oh, because it's your ass on the line, you see? And so it's this philosophy of cost savings where by the time you figure out what's going on in the case, oftentimes it's way too late. You're way behind. And then what you see now is, so here's how this works, right? So the insurance, the primary insurer who wants to save all the money, well, then their coverage only goes so far. And then the excess insurance gets involved. Well, the excess insurer comes in and says, Oh my God, you know, we're down by we're down by five touchdowns yeah. in the middle in the middle <laughs> of the third quarter. So what the excess folks do is they come in because now it's their money, right? Of course. They come in, they fire the original attorney, and they bring in their heavy hitter. Because they're getting serious because they they're they're paying every dollar over, you know, 20 million or 25 million. Now things are getting serious. The problem is now we're in the middle of the fourth quarter of the game, right? You're you're bringing in your heavy hitting attorney. The problem is all the damage has been done up to that point, and so now it's either go to trial and, and take a huge, massive risk on a case that's not been handled very well up to this point, or get your checkbook out, and that's where your nuclear settlement comes in. And you're going to write a massive check to get rid of this huge problem, all because you, in the first two quarters of this game, you focused on cost savings instead of winning. Yeah, you you were reactive instead of proactive. That's that is exactly why we're in the position we are today. And if anybody wants to argue about this, feel free to call me, and you're going to lose this argument because I have this, <laughs> yeah. I have this discussion every week. With insurance people, with defense counsel. And here's the thing the plaintiff's bar, again, hats off to them. They know everything I just told you, they know, and they fully take advantage of it. Oh, they exploit it all day they long. They completely exploit it. They know, okay, I'm playing, again, I go back to my sports analogies. They're playing a team that's only going to run the ball up the middle for the first two, maybe three quarters of the game. They know, they got the scouting report. So the plaintiff's bar comes out and says, aha, <laughs> well, we know what we're going to do. We're going to throw the ball deep early and often and build this lead. And so the plaintiff's bar is fully taking advantage of the system. So the reason why my clients are so successful against the plaintiff's bar is my clients throw the ball and they throw yeah. it early <laughs> and we blitz. We blitz on first down. We blitz on second down from the opening, right from the from the opening kickoff. 
because that's the only way to beat this adversary is to you've got to throw punches and you got to throw them early right from the beginning because if you wait and you put cost savings first they're going to fully take advantage of it and that's a massive reason for some of these crazy verdicts that you see yeah well i you know and i think you know overarching in society we have a lack of people who strive to win you know <laughs> and that's been the biggest thing that you know comes to my mind about the defense and there's don't some really great defense attorneys but don't, don't get don't get me started yet. <laughs> yeah. but you know i mean they're getting paid whether they win or lose and you know and then i think in just in general in society we have a lot of people who just lack that true desire to win in life hey, i'll t- you know? tell you this Raymond. I'll, I'll tell you this um I I had a defense attorney, a very prominent trucking defense attorney um, in the Northeast. We'll leave it at that. Um, He came up to me after my speech. I gave gave a speech to a a, a trucking group. He came up to me afterwards, and and I've worked with him. He's a fantastic, highly competitive attorney. And he was frustrated after my speech. And another guy came up, and he's from the Southwest, different state. And they both said the same thing. They said, I desperately badly want to win. I want to throw the ball. I want to throw the ball in the first quarter, but the offensive coordinator won't let me. They won't give me the resources, meaning I want to win. And I hear this from many defense owners. I want to win. I want to do all these things you're talking about. My client won't let me. Yeah, the insurance company They're worried about cost. They're worried about cost. They're worried about cost. So I'm I'm not blaming the defense bar um, for the most part in, in, in any way, because I do think they generally they they genuinely want to win. They want to do these things. They want to be more aggressive. But if they have a client that A, is not even paying their bills fully, mm-hmm. right? Number one, that, that's going to hurt some motivation. <laughs> yeah. Then number two, if if the toolbox isn't full of tools, right? You, you, you need a hammer. You go into your toolbox and there's no hammer. Well, what? Then you go to your client, you know, I'd really like a hammer to build the, oh, no, you can't, no, no, we're not going to give you a hammer. We don't want to pay for a hammer. That puts the defense attorney in a really, really tough position. Oh, of course. Of yeah. course. Share with me why some, why are some plaintiff attorneys more feared than others? You know, I won't mention any names, but I know you've shared with me about a pretty ruthless one in Texas. And, you know, yeah. what makes those plaintiff attorneys more dangerous than others? Um, their level of, uh, well, a couple of things. Number one, their, their, their level of success is intimidating. Once they get some wins, the motive, once that momentum of huge, that. Once they get some huge wins, um, it makes everybody nervous. So when a file comes in and that attorney on the file, uh, everybody's like, Oh, Oh boy. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and the way they get there is, um, their level of, um, not every time, but a lot of time, uh, their level of aggression, um, their um, their level of aggression during the discovery phase, particularly during the deposition phase when they're deposing. And that's why I'm so busy is I, I train these witnesses to withstand that and yeah. to not just survive that, but to thrive in that in that situation. And they come in, you know, very aggressive, very organized and just relentless and tenacious um, assuming that the witness and the defense counsel will not be able to handle that. And here's the thing. They're, they're, I mean, they're largely correct. Without the proper preparation and, and training of these witnesses, 
uh, they, they, they really stand no chance against these really aggressive and talented and successful um, um, a, a, attorneys. And, wow. and so um, uh, I, but then at the same time, there's a handful of attorneys out there that are not so aggressive um, and are still very successful. Um, they do take the higher road, but they're very uh, they're very persistent. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're very professional, uh, and they still get what they want, just in a different way. They use more of the sugar and honey approach as opposed to the vinegar approach. Yeah, but 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 those are few and far between. Uh, the 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 big boys out there that we all know about, the ones with the billboards, right? Um, the ones that have the crazy commercials and the ones you hear the crazy stories about. Um, they thrive off of aggression, and they're big bullies. You know, yeah. they're big. There's a reason why. Um, see now they see I'm old. Uh, I'm 50. Um, there was no cyber bullying, you know, in, in 1983, uh, on the playground, uh, in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, where I grew up, uh, we settled things the old fashioned way. Right. Um, and the only way to take care of a bully was to, <laughs> right. No, you, yeah. you, 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 you've, you've got to slug the bully in the nose because that's the only way that bully's going to back down. And the same thing, uh, you know, happens here. You got to fight aggression with aggression because if you put your tail between your legs and you run away, well, then the bully's just motivated to, to keep being aggressive because it works, right? And so, um, the way that we've seen success at courtroom sciences with our clients is to provide the weaponry so that the defense can be uh, aggressive uh, early in a case properly right? Uh, defend itself, which really sends a message uh, to the rest of the plaintiff's bar is, hey, this is a defendant you don't want to mess with. No, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that's always made me a little nervous um, is when a, I talk to an adjuster and or the defense attorney for a client of mine, and they they always, you know, when they say that the plaintiff attorney has been easy to work with and level-headed and, you know, it's, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, it's always, well, you know, they've got millions of dollars on the line. Well, you know, what are we, what are we missing here? Because, you know, and, and they might be easy to work with, but you know, where are they, you know, I guess this might not be the best analogy, but where are they stabbing us in the back? You know, are we, are we, well, you know, aware of that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's an interesting uh, point, Raymond. Um, there are, um, there are plaintiff attorneys out there that, um, will do things that are borderline unethical. I've heard all the stories. Uh, there's also plaintiff attorneys out there um, that do do things um, in an ethical and professional way and are easy to work with. Uh, again, I'm not going to name the, ba- I'm not going to name the really aggressive ones that really, really push it ethically. And I'm also not going to name the ones I've heard that do it the right way. Um, I know who they are. Um they are out there, and um, there are very uh, good. Uh, I think the plaintiff's bar again. Another thing that's going to ruffle some feathers. I think the plaintiff's bar gets this terrible reputation of because I think that like ten percent of really aggressive and or borderline unethical uh, plaintiff attorneys. I think that's what often defines right uh, the whole plaintiff's bar. That's not that's not true. Uh, there are plaintiff attorneys out there in trucking and medical malpractice that are really good people that do do it the right way and that are re- that are, they're really good attorneys. Um, 
However, <laughs> there is a uh, minority um, in those groups uh, that I think that has uh, kind of hurt the reputation as a whole. And there's this assumption that, hey, all plaintiff attorneys are bad. I, I really honestly do not think that uh, at all. There are good ones out there. There are ones that will work uh, with trucking companies and with insurance companies um, to to get cases resolved um fairly and i'll tell you yeah and i'll tell you too you know i don't even you know even when i said you know stabbing in the back I, you know i don't even think i didn't even really think about anything unethical i just think about you know these guys are very skilled at what they do and if we uh if we kind of put blinders yeah. on of this things you know cruising down the road you know there's you know there's going to be some road bumps that we're not expecting but uh you know, Bill, I've heard you say that there are two types of trucking companies in the eyes of plaintiff attorneys, targets and deterrents. And if a company's listening and they want to become more of a deterrent, uh, what is your advice? And I think this honestly kind of plays to the previous question of, you know, sometimes plaintiff attorneys don't even have to be that aggressive because we make it too easy for them. Too you know? easy. <laughs> yeah. It's too e It's really taking candy from a baby. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, being a deterrent means being prepared. And again, being the, um, again, you know, again, you're out in the school. The, the bully doesn't pick on everybody, do they? No. Right. Cause there's no. the one guy, you know, it's funny. So I'm out in California uh, a couple of weeks ago and, uh, I'm working for a, uh, it wasn't a trucking case, actually. It was a uh, municipality case, um, where a city there, there was a auto, uh, there was a auto accident, uh, but they're suing the city. Right. Yeah. Um, saying that you know they didn't have the speed limit was posted that was too high or there wasn't you know they, they stay oftentimes to the city and um i was working with some police officers i had to to testify and during one of the breaks you know one of the police officers said um how old are you and i go I'm, I'm 50 he's like i gotta hand it to you i go why he goes he goes he goes i'm a cop he's like i'm well he's like i would not mess with you like just looking at like I wouldn't. He's like you obviously take care of yourself. You're. He's like he goes. He goes. He goes. And, and the reason why you're in good shape because this is this guy's a law enforcement officer in a oh, city, cool. quite frankly, that has a lot of crime, a lot of crime on the subway, on the buses, at bus stations, at the train station. He's like the bad guys never mess with guys like you. Because I look at you and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna mess with that. <laughs> and that, I try. I try to be a personal deterrent, right? So if somebody's gonna mug me, boy. They're they picked the wrong dude, right? Oh uh, yeah. That's that's the way defendants need to think about this, right? So what I, what do I do? Well, I train in the gym, right? I I box. I learn things about you know you know whether it be uh, jujitsu and MMA, right? I I train myself to be a deterrent, and I want everybody to know when I'm walking down the street. I want everybody thinking. That's the last guy I'm messing with. Right? <laughs> of course. So, yeah. what, so, so what can a trucking company do? Well, go to the gym, right? What is the training involved? Well, a couple of things. Number one, um, have your staff, okay, prepared for litigation well before it happens. We do. I get hired by trucking companies all over the country. I this is they don't even have a lawsuit filed yet, and I come in and I educate their staff about depositions the legal process oftentimes an attorney will come with me we'll do some practice questioning there's a lot of things you can do as a trucking company i i, I had a trucking company uh 
in the Midwest, again, won't name their name, that came and I came and I, they say, he said, Hey, I want you to prepare my key executives on, you know, witness preparation, things like that. Um, I, because a lot, we know a lawsuit's coming. I don't want to wait for a lawsuit. I want to get them kind of, I, w- I want you to install that in their mind now. So when we do get sued, we're already halfway there from a training perspective. And yeah, I love that. It's really, really, really important. I went and I did that for a day with like the top five people. After I did that first session, he brought me back three more times in cycles ready for this and put every single employee in the company through the training. Wow. And paid for it, paid for it. Like wrote big checks for this. And I, I, and he, he told me this is the CEO of the company. He's like, I want to be a deterrent. I want to be the most prepared. That's what he told me face to face. He goes, I want to be the most prepared trucking company out there. So when they come after me, they know they're they're getting a fight. No, of I want course. everybody to know it. I want the universe to know it. I th- that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. Number one, number two, do some do. Okay, there's two areas that the plaintiff attorney immediately goes to in litigation to attack the company. Number one, your website. Your what? I I just got oh I got an email yesterday. So somebody so somebody goes to our courtroom sciences webpage and says, yeah, I need help with witness preparation. You know, send tell Bill to call me. They didn't call they they went through the 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 webpage, right? Like okay. they contact us on the webpage. So I have their information. I went to their webpage and the first thing I put about us and the safety language they had there was the slow. We we put safety number one above everything. I'm going, oh boy, here we go. Oh, yeah. on your website's open to the public it's full of idealistic bullshit which needs to stop all all the safety like the word safety just shouldn't even be on the damn website in any way shape or form it's i un- agree it's unnecessary it's unnecessary it's not going to affect your business. It's not going to affect your body. It's just all this feel-good, terrible language, which then the plaintiff attorneys, and we know this for a fact, the plaintiff attorneys go there, they download the webpage, and then they use the statements from the webpage to cross-examine your witnesses. And now what are you going to do? Disagree with it? It's on, it's on, it's on the goddamn webpage. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't disagree with it, right? So the webpage gets the trucking company in a lot of trouble in discovery and deposition, number one. Number two, the second place that the plant attorney goes and just murders your witnesses is your policies and procedures and, and training training materials. Again, oh, of the, 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 so a lot of what we do, well, not a lot, we should do more, but uh, a lot of cases we work on, but then with a lot of our, um, if we do come into a trucking company and we're doing training for their employees before a lawsuit, right? We're training them on, you know, how, how to be better with, like how to be a good witness, stuff like that. Um, we'll sit down with some of the key people. We'll go over their website and their policies and procedures and tell them, delete this, delete this, delete this, delete this, change this word to this word, this word to this word, because they yeah. go into these policies 
And that's really, those are exhibits A and B in most oh. of these cases. <laughs> yeah. They're going to get into the case specifics like the police report or the dash cam. Yeah, but on every single case, that website language and that policy and procedure and training manual language is going to haunt you every single time. So one thing that your audience can do right now, <laughs> and what I do, like when I give speeches, everybody jumps on their phones going, oh shit, right? And they go to their yeah. website, their policies and procedures. You need you need to have somebody look at that. Now, you can contact me. I could take a look. I mean, I don't have a lot of time. If you have a yeah, question about a paragraph, right? I could look at that, but I'm not looking through your whole damn policy. Um, but you really need to run that by an attorney. Right. And, and yeah. really, because because like you, you think your policies and procedures have really good language. Well, here's the thing. When these things are being authored, Raymond, no one's thinking about lawsuits. Oh, you're yeah. about employee development. You're thinking about, you know, CYA language. The problem you're not thinking like a plaintiff attorney. You're thinking about marketing, potentially. You're yeah, thinking about just... marketing. Right. So when you're <laughs> yeah. when, when, so anything that just two things that are going to save you, whoever's going to be listening to this podcast, two things that are going to save a lot of headaches, eliminate a lot of headaches. Go to your website, go to your policies, procedures, training manuals, have those assessed by a third party whether it be us or hire a defense attorney or run it by uh, outside counsel, because that language can lead to massive problems once you have an accident and a claims file. Massive. Yeah. massive I got a question issues. for you on this. So I, I've ran across some, some companies who I think they've been burned by this in the past. And mm -hmm. so then they go to, we're going to eliminate all policies and just go to the letter of the law. And so they don't have a distracted driving policy. They don't have it. They don't have any policies because they feel like anything they have will be used against them. What is, what is your thoughts on that? No, you, you need to have policies. It, it's, it's about the, the policies need to be very direct and they have to have the appropriate language, not idealistic or extreme language. And, and that's, and, and that's really the issue. So, <laughs> Because well, they get if they don't have a distracted driving policy, yeah. that's going to be that's yeah, going to be have that you have to yeah if you don't have if you don't have any policies that's even worse during deposition right um so you have to have the policies they have to be specific and direct um with with the right language okay yeah uh, eliminating the policy you know is, is not going to help you but having pages and pages and pages and pages and pages like it's a less is more uh approach and so now the counter to that people say well don't we look bad if we don't have a 50 or 70 page policy like if we only have a like our policies <laughs> and procedures are 15 pages like doesn't that look bad my answer is no because here's what jerry's here here's another thing that's going to save your 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 folks a lot of eggs Juries care about communication more than paper, Raymond. Mm -hmm. When you get the if you're the, if you're the safety director, or you're the trucking CEO, and they're like, and the plaintiff attorney is like, well, I notice your policies and procedures are only seventeen pages. So obviously, you don't care about safety, and you're not taking the stuff really seriously. And and your witness, right, your key witness is going to say, no, I disagree. Why? We have we have safety meetings. We meet with our staff. Okay. Yeah. We convey these things uh, 
in person or on Zoom or whatever. And it's on documented. A month, on a monthly or quarterly basis, we meet with our people because we know, because by the way, Raymond, no one reads the policy. You get you get the best policy in the world. No one reads it. Yeah. No one, no one reads it. And so juries don't care about what a jury wants to see is, is this trucking company communicating with their staff on important issues like distracted driving? Or yeah. is it in some paragraph in a policy that no one reads? Yeah. Right? So the key is you want to develop a system in which you are conveying that information in a meeting format to where uh, if a jury saw that, they, they I'm just telling you right now, juries like that stuff. What juries don't like, here's what they hate. They hate unenforced policies. Yeah. They hate, they hate policies that no one talks about. So it's not just the policy, it's your enforcement and your communication of the policy. Absolutely. Well, you know, kind of on this topic, you know, people in this kind of the whole thing we've been talking about with nuclear settlements, nuclear verdicts, you know, all kinds of people share and talk about it, the negative about it. And they talk about potential solutions. Um, but can you share with us without going into too much detail, you know, some of the recent wins that you've had and and this, and putting wins on the scoreboard for your clients? Yeah. Um, you have to, you know, how do you define a win? Yeah. Right. Um and we have really, as an industry, not just in trucking, but the defense as a whole needs to, I think, redefine this. Um, so the the wins I want to get and the wins that we get on a regular basis. So you got to look at frequency, what's going on. There are not a lot of trials around. Yeah. Okay. So the obvious win is going, you're going to get into the ring. You're going you're gonna to go all 12 rounds. And the ref's going to come out at the end, who's the jury, and say, and the winner is the defense, right? Okay. That's not happening a lot. Yeah, of course. It just doesn't happen a lot. Well, and and, there, and the win probably varies based off of the facts of the case. I mean, if you act, you know, yeah. if you're at fault for an accident, you know, yeah. you're, you know, you're not going to pay out zero. You know? <laughs> exactly. So, A, you don't have a lot of trials. B, if you're going to trial, um, a win could be which I would strongly agree with this, is plaintiff attorney asks for $20 million and the jury comes back at 3.5. That, that's a massive win, yeah. Raymond. Not, like on paper, you've lost, but no, you haven't, okay? So you have to define what a win. So we've helped our clients in several cases mitigate damages, right? We want to help our clients. They know they're going to get some percentage of fault from that jury. So the two things I want to do for my clients at trial, get that percentage down as low as possible. And number two, get the damages as low as possible. Yeah. And that's, that's how I help my clients win. Now, sometimes it is a defense verdict. Okay. But oftentimes it's not that simple in, in, in transportation. Okay. Uh, secondly, but I think even more importantly, because the frequency is higher, I want to help my clients settle resolve cases earlier and cheaper earlier and cheaper that we do that on a weekly basis where i get an email from a client going hey we settled the case clients thrilled very affordable settlement we are golden that yeah. that's that's really the the wins and the, the only way that happens raymond only way that happens 
Number one is witnesses perform. Defense witnesses perform. Because once that happens, it sucks the life out of the case. And it forces a reasonable settlement. So that's number one. Then number two, and not on every case, but in many of these cases, we do that focus group of that mock trial. So we have the, de- like, we know what the case is worth. And then when you go into a mediation, you can tell the mediator, yeah, guess what? I had two PhDs analyze this case with, with mock jurors. Here's what, we know what this case is worth. We've done our homework. We think that this demand is really overinflated. And that gives you a lot of leverage with the mediator to to come up, uh, to, to get down to a, a much more reasonable resolution. Oh, man. Well, Bill, I thought those early wins came from sitting around and waiting. Well, I mean, that's the, yeah. So here, so here's the math to this, right? Oh, of course. You're, you know, spending, I can, you're yeah. spending money to make money, right? So the smart, the smart companies, smart insurance companies <laughs> spend money to, to make money or save money really in this case, right? <laughs> Meaning they invest, because think about it, right? So say a company invests insurance company, right? Who's covering a, a trucking company. Um, they invest, let's just throw out a number, $100,000 into getting all their witnesses ready for deposition and say doing a focus group. They invest a hundred grand. The demand on the case is $7 million. Let's say the case settles for $2 million. Largely because, <laughs> A, you've done your homework, you, your witnesses performed, right? Yeah. The plaintiff attorney said, ah, oh, shit. I'm not, I can't win this. Like, I'm not, the plaintiff attorney is upsettling, right? Oh, yeah. But the original demand was $7 million. So by spending the 100000 you forced a lower settlement. Now, Let's say, okay, say Q, okay, insurance company, keep that 100 grand in your pocket. Now the depths go and they suck, Raymond. They suck. Now plaintiff's counsel calls back and says, my seven million's off the table. Now I want 12. Yeah. And now you settle the case for eight. Okay, so you see what $100,000 can do? It can have multi-million dollar shifts in settlement yeah hundred thousand dollars but yeah you try to get a hundred grand out of an insurance company good luck the problem is if they spend it this the cost savings on the back end is in the millions and when they save it right now they oftentimes end up paying way way more on the case than they would have if they would have spent a hundred grand. That's the number one problem in this industry. So I'm going to ask you this uh, before we wrap up. Something I've heard when I've pushed back on adjusters with my clients is, you know, the the head adjuster of an insurance company is going to say, well, the the witness prepar- you know, preparation is what we hire the defense attorney for. And the defense attorney is going to say, you know, he, he does an adequate job. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Uh, if the job was adequate, why are we having all these nuclear verdicts and settlements? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Obviously, it's not adequate. But listen, in, de- <laughs> in defense of the defense attorneys, okay, I don't replace what they do. I supplement. Remember, yeah. yeah do, so does an insurance company hire a defense attorney to prepare the witness for deposition? 100%. 
But what are they preparing them for? The exhibits, right? The the how to deal with the dash. I mean, they're going over evidence. Okay. Yeah. That's not that's not where depositions go wrong. Depositions go wrong because of cognitive, emotional, and behavioral breakdowns. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I handle. So there's four things that can screw up a deposition. Four. Okay. Cognition. The witness doesn't think and doesn't listen carefully. They make dumbass mistakes. Well, I can fix that. Okay. Most common mistake, by the way. Right? Number two, behavior. They're on videotape and they look angry, right? They look ticked or they look disinterested or they look scared to death. And they're killing their credibility because behaviorally, they're not coming across the right way on videotape, which could be shown to a jury. Okay. Behavior. That's 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 my second specialty, cognition behavior. Third, emotion. Your witness goes into fight or flight, you know, uh, mode, and they start saying crazy, crazy stuff, okay? Can destroy testimony. Well, this, cog- okay, these three things, cognition, emotion, behavior, no defense attorney has any training in anything like that. Yeah, I'm a PhD expert in those two. So I solve those three problems. The fourth way to screw up the deposition is legal strategy. And that and that's where the defense attorney strives. So the defense, yeah. the defense attorney comes in, they handle the legal stuff and the strategic stuff. I handle the psych psychology stuff. And you put those together, that's a lethal combination that leads to a lot of success for our clients. And the smart defense attorneys have figured this out. Hey, I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, I can prepare a witness kind of generally for a deposition, but there's no, for example, I mean, really, there's no defense attorneys out there that really adequately can prepare their witnesses for like, you know, a reptile attack. They they can't. They will say that they can. Trust me, I've seen it. They, They can't. I've designed a neurocognitive program to train the witness brain to survive and thrive in that a- a- atmosphere. The defense counsel th- can't do that, no, nor should they, by the way. Yeah. They should be focused on their legal stuff. Now, the defense attorney, by the way, I don't do anything illegal. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not an attorney. Yeah. You know, I don't, I can't, you know, I don't write, I don't write <laughs> yeah. motions for summary judgment, right? I, I don't do that. Why? I'm a psychologist. So, so the smart folks out there, they hire me or my colleagues to handle the critical psychology parts of this for the witness. They ha- they have the defense attorney handle the legal strategy. You put those two things together, you have a very, very well-balanced system that's going to lead to very, very positive things. Absolutely. Well, I love this. And Bill... This has been great. And the trucking business is so essential to our country and you play oh, a critical role. And so I thank you for trying. sharing. I'm 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 trying. The one thing we didn't talk about, I have to throw this in here because it's no, making I love me it. nuts. I just saw it before we got on. Okay. The distracted driving policies, right? Okay, this this TikTok thing is out of control. It's out of control. Let me say it again. It's out of control. Drivers are broadcasting live on TikTok while they drive because it's fun and they're interacting with their audience. It's, 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 it's shocking. It's frightening. It's growing. It's expanding. Cause listen, these drivers are bored. 
Yeah. You know, it used to be like fun to, you know, play with your walk, you know, breaker 19, right? I mean, yeah, now, now it's very, it's, this is going to lead, it's already led to some bad things. I'm just saying as part of your, you have to have social media as part of your distracted driving policy and you, you better freaking enforce it because I see it every, because I am a TikTok addict. I love it. Um, I see it every day of, of truckers on major interstate highways um, broadcasting live, interacting with their audience. They think it's really cool. Uh, the yeah. problem is a, a jury is not going to think that's cool when there's three dead people and they have a verdict for them. So what, um, what, what would you, I know you mentioned a social media, you know, as part of the distracted driving policy, is there anything else? I mean, do you think, uh, you know, companies should be proactively looking, for, uh, you know, on social media for their drivers to do in this behavior or. Um, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, they do. You got, you got to do your homework. Just like, I mean, th- th- here's the thing, just like when you're hiring, right. So negligent hiring is a, is a common claim in these trucking cases. And so you have to do your, you have to do background checks. You have to vet your employees very carefully. Uh, unfortunately, I think to really protect yourself, you, you do, um, you do need to, monitor uh what your drivers are doing um from a social media basis um you really really have to unfortunately because this is this is spreading um but here's the thing you can't like you can't just go spying on all your employees you can't i mean you can't do it it's not practical but here's the thing talk to them you talk to your employee you sit them down are a are you doing this stuff b it's in our just reminder. It's in our policy because now, listen, you, you can't stop everything. Oh, right? Of course. I mean, your employees are going to do certain things and, you know, that you can only do so much, but you need to do the maximum, I think, and really communicate to, to tell your employees, hey, this is a really, really bad idea. We've seen this right <laughs> with other drivers for other companies. We're, we're not going to do that. Here at yeah. company ABC. Well, and, and not addressing it from a corporate level is 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 allowing it. I mean, that's what the plaintiff yeah. attorney is going to going to argue is if you if you don't address it and you didn't train against it and you didn't have a policy against it, then you allowed it. And maybe even they could even say you promoted it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, that that's going to be the that's really what the argument is going to be in front of the jury. And that's going to be a very strong argument. So uh, drivers knock it off. I love it, my friend. Well, this has been great. Bill, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I know we'll talk again soon. Happy to come back anytime.